Hey, thank you so much for joining with us wherever you are and whomever you are with. We're grateful once again uh, to gather with you in this way. Uh, this upcoming Tuesday, February 16th, 7 to 8.30 at the church building, we're offering in-person worship and prayer night. It'll also be online at the church's YouTube channel. So we'd love for you to join with us in any way that you can. And again, in this season and as we move into the future, we would just encourage every person to find or form a community group. Uh, this is how we're leaning into vibrant transformation and real wonderful community in this season. If you need help doing that, uh, email us, info at lifechurchvirginia.com. We'll do everything we can to get you planted. Uh, before we move into the conversation, our message today, just wanna send out a public service announcement. Today is February 14th, which means it's Valentine's Day. All of you who had not uh, said anything, just chalk it up to being a surprise later. But we just wanted to remind you from Life Church that, hey, today is Valentine's Day. All right, we're continuing our series today, Stories. Because God doesn't wish to entertain us, God wants to involve us. And we spoke last week in our first Sunday, a story about two lost brothers, part one, sheep and coins first. Today, uh, I wanna talk about a story about two lost brothers, part two, running father first. We're gonna get to the two lost brothers, uh, but first we have to deal with the sheep and the coins and we have to deal with the running father. So we're gonna pick up, we read verses one through 10 of chapter 15 in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, today, we're gonna pick it up at verse 11. And he, Jesus, said. Now, remember, Jesus is telling these parables after the grumbling and the murmuring of the Pharisees. And so he's into his third story now. He said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, when he realized where he was, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the, the son's trying to get at the prepared statement that he had. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please speak to me and through me. Listen through each of us that we may hear your word and respond according to your will. Mold us, shape us, make us more into your image. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. We're working through Luke chapter 15, these parables that we're over, just surveying over these several weeks. And these four stories in Luke chapter 15 are most often read 
told, preached, and discussed with the connecting theme of lostness, uh, holding them all together as one. I myself over the years have referred to this passage, this chapter, as the lost chapter. But the lostness does not seem as central to me in the narrative anymore as it, as it once did. It's a common characteristic to be sure, but in more recent years, I find it as a necessary player to the point of joy. These four stories really turn around the central theme and point of joy. Verse 9 it talks about the joy. Verse seven, just so I tell you, there'll be more joy as he's speaking about the shepherd who reclaims the sheep. The lost coin is found in verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When the sun comes back, verse 23, bring, kill, let us eat, celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Each of these stories moved towards this point of climax, which is joy. As C.S. Lewis writes, joy is the serious business of heaven. Psalm 16, verse 11 declares that in the presence of God, there's not perfection, there's not fullness, there's not completion. It says in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. We see this in the expression and the life of Jesus as he moves throughout the gospels, healing, bringing solace, comfort, joy in his relationships, joy in his interactions. And of course, we understand, or at least I want to explain to you today that joy is really large enough to hold sorrow. Joy is wide enough to be able to hold some, frank, some frustration, some anger, some of those things that don't add up. Joy is not contingent on just the here and now. Joy enters into a deeper and wider existence. Now, these parables uh, are all advancing. They move together and there's a coming focus. They seem to pick up steam. I, I would say that there's a maturing with each passing parable. Uh, certainly there is an intensification. In the first parable, Jesus speaks to the hundred sheep. In the second parable, he speaks to the ten coins. In the third parable, which we're looking at today, he speaks to the two brothers. And finally, the last portion of the parable, which most people just kind of wrap in, and I'll get to in a moment, there's the one brother. So we see this intensification as Jesus is telling this parable, these parables together. There's a hundred, there's ten, there's two, and there's one. There's an intensification as he moves through it. Our reading today is more often referred to as the prodigal son. I think, to be honest, because we read the scriptures really encountering everything in our lives in a very selfish way. We place ourselves at the center of the telling of this story. We place ourselves at the center of everything we read, of everything that we tell, of everything that we encounter. But within the scriptures, we place ourselves at the center where, to be honest, the evangelical tradition thrives on our badness. We need God because we're gross. It's the revelation of our squalor that necessitates our finding of Christ, which is, by the way, a misnomer. We do not find Christ. We recognize that we have been found by the Christ, that God has in, indeed found us right where we are. Now, I am in no way suggesting that we do not need a savior, nor am I trying to say that we're at all put together. 
I just want to handle honestly our church history. And again, not just Life Church, the universal church. I want to handle honestly our church history or tradition, juxtaposing it with truth and reality, which I'm realizing that they're not always the same thing. We take that which is traditional. We take that which is familiar and we slap the label of truth across it because it's traditional, because it's familiar. And I'm not suggesting that there isn't something beautiful about traditions. I'm not going to argue the fact that that which is familiar can entice us and, and it actually engage us to move further. But in much the same way the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have taken Jesus at point blank notice and recognized, man, he's not traditional. He's not familiar. He's something altogether different. We have to be careful that we don't take the label of truth and slap it on familiar and traditional. Because here's our conundrum. What if we can't relate to being evil? What if we have no personal substantive connection to selfish or conniving ways, either because we lack self-awareness or we're genuinely kind, mercy-giving, loving towards others, selfless. Do such absences limit our need for or our ability to intimately connect with God? Getting back to our parable, the sons are there for sure. And we can all see ourselves in them in various forms and facets. Maybe some of us are seen in the older brother, which we'll speak to in the coming weeks, or maybe some of us see ourselves in the younger brother, the prodigal son. But in recent years, I've begun reading this parable, and I've tried to read more of the scriptures, again, not with myself as the center of gravity, but the God figure. As Jesus is telling the story, the God figure is the Father. I'll admit this way of reading the scriptures, again, of encountering life, where I am not the center, is very, very difficult. Old habits die hard, and it makes for very uncomfortable revelations. So I just want to encourage everybody to buckle up, settle in, as we work through this description of who the Father is. First of all, we see that the Father relents. In verse 11, there's a man who had two sons, and the younger of the sons said to the father, Hey, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And so he divided his property among them. The father relents. Jesus is illustrating God's nature and character to us as one who doesn't just hold fast and bully his way into our worlds, but he relents even to our unhealthy, perhaps, desires. We see as well that the father is good. When he came to himself, the son, in verse 17, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as your hired servant. And he arose and came to his father. The son, even in the midst of his prodigal living, has an understanding that the father is good. He remembers the loving nature, the accepting nature, the good nature of his father. 
And then we have to consider the father's actions. Verse 20, he rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him because he was looking for him, church. He saw him because the father was actively looking, felt compassion, ran and embraced and kissed him, and then works to restore, bring the robe, bring this, bring the fattened calf. He's bringing all of these things together to celebrate because the father's actions are towards that prodigal son. And finally, as I alluded to just a moment ago, he doesn't just receive him, but he restores him. Verses 22 through 24, the father said to his servants, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, which would have been his inheritance, his lineage, his legacy, shoes on his feet, which would have separated him from the slaves and the servants, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat, let us celebrate this return. The father doesn't just receive, but he also restores. The father has a nature to forgive. Those same words are used as Jesus hangs on a cross when he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And forgiveness is not just wiping away a wrong action, but it's teleo. It means to level up. It's actually a term of reconciliation, an accounting term, that you no longer have a debt I have settled everything. You have come up to a place of health, of wholeness, of completion. Forgiveness granted the same as described on the cross without equation, without a form, without a format. Even as Jesus hangs on the cross and just delivers that forgiveness opportunity to every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet, so does the Father without the uh, form and format and equation of this is what I did, I'm so sorry, I re just receiving and restoring. We see this, of course, as Jesus engages the disciples. Jesus invites them to follow him not because they understand they're wrong, not because they see their badness, but because Jesus sees something beautiful in them and he asks them to be with him. We should wrestle with this scriptural version of God until he overtakes any other view that we hold of him in our minds. The, the Father does relent to us and we must step carefully in our lives, but also that our Father in heaven is good, that our Father in heaven is towards us. He is waiting to receive us and our Father in heaven is working to restore us. This Father, this running Father, shows us that God is indeed looking for us. He runs to us. He goes to us. He's going out towards us. He seeks. He sweeps, even as the shepherd and the woman go looking for the coin, all towards us. And if the Father is indeed God, which I don't think is a theological stretch by any of our imaginations. How do we fit, not just in lostness, but how do we fit in the celebration and in the joy of heaven over our lives, over your life, over his life, over her life? So today, first, I want you to know and I want you to begin to receive the notion that God is towards you that God is for you, 
not just because you have need of him, because yes, indeed, we all have shortcomings. We all have failures and mistakes a mile long, but God is not around just for our badness. He's around because he made you beautiful. And we have to take that notion and make it who we are and receive that acceptance of us in God's eyes. Second, I wanna challenge all of us with the practice of scripture reading. And just as we did in this passage, place God and joy at the center of your reading of scripture, not just our lostness. And let me leave you with this benediction. May we accept the scriptural truth that God runs towards us. May we enter into the joy, celebrations, and fulfillments that God has for us and allow for that to change how we see all humanity wrapped in the same joy, the same celebrations, the same fulfillments that God has. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.